Here's the shot. Score! They score! Nate Smith scores! Alex Adler with a ball for the point. Snake by Jack Rathbone. Elias Patterson. Power play goal. Back to BXC. He shoots. He scores! Kevin BXC! Welcome back to episode four of Point Shot. We've got an exciting one today. Uh, we'll be joined by Carter, Josh, and we'll see if Sean joins us shortly here. Uh, exciting day in, uh, in sports whenever you get a blockbuster trade like this. It's good to be back. Uh, how's everyone doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah Josh, doing, welcome to live on Point Shot. Yeah, first time. Welcome. And Carter, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. The sun's out. It looks like we're about to get some snow tomorrow here in Vancouver. That's uh, could be interesting. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty nice when, you know, no one has anywhere to go. Of course, the old cliche with snow. But uh, yeah, we're hoping to get some too. My uh, dog just absolutely loves it. He's from California. So whenever he sees snow, it's just like the coolest thing in the whole world. Your dog's from California. So you, you imported your dog or what? Uh, yes, Kidnapped? he's a rescue. From uh, Rivers, I always screw it up, Riverside. Okay. I, I, I remember it's where Julie Cooper was from in the OC. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Maybe dating myself here with an OC reference, but uh, God, that was a great show. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, might have seen in one episode, but uh, you know what? We, our dogs, my dogs are Canadian and they, uh, they live for the snow, right? So it's, it just it's a whole new element. I think when the snow comes, they feel like a new world has has come down on them and things are changing and just like, oh, what is this wild madness? Yeah, all these new smells. It's just a, it's a wonderful time for a dog, for sure. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's jump into this blockbuster because you don't get a trade like this every day. And of course, I think it's especially interesting because of course we were told that don't expect a lot of trades this year, especially ones you know, happening between Canadian and American teams. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we're even officially a week into the season and we get this blockbuster where we see, you know, really three disgruntled players uh, exchange teams here. Uh, I'll throw to Josh to, to start with. What are your kind of initial impressions with the uh, uh, trade? And, and let's try to avoid the I don't know if he's going to work with Torts talk, because I think that takes out there. Okay. <laughs> well, there's there's still the possibility that Line A does work under Torts. Um, he's it down your left. I am here for that take. I have not heard that. I just, uh, you know, again, I was tweeting earlier. I'm like, I can't believe how many people seem to feel the need to tweet that on their own. Like, like someone else has said it, it's, it's the take's been out there for like three weeks of even discussing this trade. I don't get the need for everyone to have to tweet it out themselves, but I digress. Yeah. So um, I, I woke up like half, no, like an hour and a half ago. Um, and then I just saw, turned on my TV, the trade happened. I was like, oh, wow, it actually actually happen so yeah like you said worst case scenario line it doesn't work under torts and it becomes a mess but jacket stands should think about what can go right with lining not what can go wrong they can get one of the best goal scorers in the nhl though he did have a down year last year but he still has a pretty lethal shot but in winnipeg's case they got a really good uh, top six center in Pierre-Luc Dubois. And uh, I don't know why a lot of people don't put him higher on the best players in the league list. I think um, Dubois is still pretty underrated, but um, this was an this was a interesting trade to wake up to. Like you said, you got three disgruntled players moving around in the middle of a pandemic. And for the Canucks, this means we're going to see more of Pierre-Luc Dubois this season, though, not right away because of the mandatory 14-day uh, quarantine. But it, it's um, a little too early to tell who won this trade, but we shall see. And it can go either way for either team. Are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, you know what? I would agree with Josh. It's, uh, it's, it, 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 time will tell, right? Um, it could go both ways. It's interesting to see 
um, you know, how Line is going to fit into the Blue Jackets lineup, right? He'll probably snuggle right in on that top line with Domi and Atkinson, uh, maybe bumping down Felino onto the second line. But uh, I think he bring he brings a lot to the table, definitely. But it's it's really the system and how Line's mindset is going to change, right? It's when when he was drafted. I feel like ever since he was drafted, he does have the skill, but he just doesn't have the the drive maybe is the right word. Um, you know, that, that factor that kind of pushes him to be elite. Uh, for me, Aline is not in that elite category yet. Um, but maybe this new change of scenery with the Blue Jackets kind of pushes him to take that next step, especially under torts, right? Uh, someone to light that fire under the kid, get him going. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I mean, I love him, to be honest. Uh, I love that, you know, he's a French-Canadian, and this doesn't bode crazy well, the whole drama leading up to it for for uh, French-Canadians like Pierre Duluc Dubois. Um, but he might snuggle right in on that uh, second line um, in Winnipeg. You know, Stastny might move along uh, to the wing, and then you have Stastny, Ehlers, and Dubois, right? And your top six is lethal from Winnipeg side of things. So, um, yeah, time will tell. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think this is a trade that could potentially work out well for both teams. I think it's, you know, certainly both cities or both franchises making the best out of a bad situation. Because typically when you have a disgruntled superstar like this, you have to trade him and it ends up being a package of, you know, a decent roster player, uh, you know, marginal or, or mid-round prospect, and then, you know, a first or second round pick. And often that first or second round picks, you know, kind of a later first round pick too. So the odds of getting a superstar there is tough. So, I think this is, you know, maybe the most, like, I think most people called this trade, you know, down to, you know, all pieces other than the third uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I think we've had plenty of time to kind of see it coming. Um, I think it's interesting how many people think uh, that Winnipeg got ripped off in this deal. Uh, again, you know, Roslovic, you know, good third line player, but I don't know if he's really a world beater. Uh, and Line, who again, obviously uh, is not very happy in that current situation. Um, and, you know, has had kind of up and down years and, you know, they've had to kind of play him on the third line at times. So never really seemed like a, a great fit there. And to get a 22 year old power forward center uh, who had an incredible playoffs last year. Again, I, I think this is a win for Winnipeg. Uh, you know, whenever you get a center uh, and again, a guy who I think is going to be motivated to not be playing for torts. And though obviously he's not truly the bigger market he really wanted it is a Canadian market. So it is going to be, you know, more intense for them. Uh, so, you know, again, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, I think ultimately, again, if it comes down to push and shove, uh, the Blue Jackets will choose uh, the, the superstar player over, uh, you know, their coach this time. I think you can do that once. I don't think you can do it twice. Um, Sean, love to get your thoughts here, buddy, uh, on the big trade. I mean, it's kind of what we were looking at, right? Um, line A and, uh, and Dubois switching spots. I don't think it's going to be as bad as everybody thinks. Like, I know it's kind of ironic that it ends up being um, essentially the same state or province, uh, just in a different country that they're switched to, uh, like Canadian, Ohio, <laughs> and American uh, Manitoba. But it's not exactly the big stage that Dubois probably wanted. And it's, I mean, it's a fresh start for Line a either way. I think he's going to I was just saying it's a Canadian market though, at least, right? Totally. So, yeah. so he is going to get the more spotlight, more attention, you know, certainly more people are going to name, know the name Pierre-Luc Dubois than when he was in Columbus, Ohio. Right. So sorry totally. to interrupt, but. Yeah, no. And I'm, I, th I think you're dead on with that. Right. And I think it's actually going to be really good for Winnipeg that way too, because I think that in Canada, they get some of the least coverage and right now they just made a huge splash. And on top of that, just kind of solely as a on ice product, he's going to be behind Mark Shifley, which is actually a really nice little spot for him. Um, I, th I think it makes, uh, a huge difference for Winnipeg, especially, but ultimately I do think Columbus wins the trade. That, that's going to be my hot take is that Columbus won the trade. Well, yeah, you know, I think I, that seems to be the more popular take, or at least what I've seen on Twitter so far, everyone's going, yeah. I can't believe, you know, how well Columbus did. 
again, my I'm so I'm saying my hot take is that Winnipeg won the trade, getting oh. the, you know franchise young power forward center versus you know a player who straight up wasn't willing to play there, and then another who again is up and down, not really wanting to play there. You know, was never really happy and kind of bouncing around their middle six. So again, to me, yeah, Winnipeg didn't necessarily address their greatest need in this trade by acquiring you know a top pairing defenseman. But again, I don't know what superstar defenseman would have been out there available in that kind of trade for a you know, player like Pierre-Luc Dubois. Most teams, if they've got that, you know, capable franchise defenseman, they're not moving. So again, you know, I think that's why this trade was so easy to predict was you got two disgruntled superstars, yeah. you know, it, it makes by far the most sense for either side. So, uh, you know, again, obviously it's going to be really interesting to see how this one plays out. Plenty of storylines. Of course, there is that, of course, you know, possibility that it's just going to go terribly, but you really would have <laughs> thought or think, you know, Kekalainen and Torts would have had some conversations and, you know, are pretty aware of the player they're coming in. I can't imagine they're, you know, expecting the, you know, guy to be winning the bag skates or anything like that coming in. So they, they know what they're getting. It's not like, you know, this is huge surprise or, uh, you know, it's this big secret that line A isn't necessarily, you know, the hardest worker. Um so yeah, well, uh, Yarmo is Finnish, right? Like Yarmo is uh, the only European GM. He is Finnish. He would be pretty familiar with one of the biggest Finnish stars to come out of his home country, right? So that's a really good point. Uh, I, I do think that he's he's pretty up on Patrick Laine, um and and everything that we end up kind of seeing uh, going forward is going to be. Uh, them kind of catering to putting him in the best position. Um, I'm hoping. My worry for Columbus is that ultimately their top line center now is Max Domi. And we have seen how that goes in Montreal and it doesn't go good. So I, I honestly don't know what their plan is for uh, their center depth because their center depth is not good. I, I, anytime you have Domi <laughs> on your top line, it's not good. And this is exactly part of the reason why I'm Winnipeg won the trade. Yeah. You know, again, Columbus, you know, went from having a, a franchise center to having no franchise centers, you know, again, that's, that, that's why, and that's why I think it was all also obvious that, you know, again, they got the extra piece in uh, Roslovic because of course, again, going from center to winger is a downgrade. So, yeah. you know, again, anyways, it, it seems like currently the popular take is uh, that Columbus won the deal, but I think Winnipeg won it. So I guess we'll, uh, We'll have to it's gonna be, wait and see. It's a good trade. Anytime yeah, you have trade. it where you have both sides can be arguably the winners, you, you have a good trade. And I'm I'm excited that uh, we got kind of a blockbuster deal in the middle of a pandemic. I Usually we don't see that in season really ever. And then we got it in the middle of a pandemic shortened season. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for the, isn't, the rest of the isn't short that, season. Uh, isn't that wild that it's a short season though? So you have this big blockbuster trade, then you have two weeks of quarantine and then you got to yeah. get your feet kind of warmed up with a new team. Right. And you're yeah. halfway, you got what, 25 games after that to make yeah, an impact and, or make a and statement. The spotlight will be shining on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think probably part of that that helps is that line A is hurt right now. Yeah. Right. And I don't know his timeline. Uh, I haven't seen anything indicating exactly how long he's going to be out for. But I mean, if it's a couple weeks in your Columbus and you're like, okay, perfect. So he finishes his quarantine, becomes fully healthy and comes into our lineup. That's, that's probably the timeline we were looking at anyways. So the, the big difference will be for, um, well, I guess Winnipeg, it's the same thing. Either they were waiting for Line A to come back. Roslovic wasn't playing. And then they get Dubois. So I think yeah. it actually ends up working out really well. <laughs> and, and apparently Columbus was ready to make Dubois a healthy scratch, right? So yeah. they were oh, yeah. they were ready to play these next couple of games without him, you know, regardless trade or no. So I, I think you know, they were going to sit him until the tra uh, trade was made. So, yeah. yeah. And you kind of touched on something interesting there, because, of course, going back to this draft class, which now, I'm, forgive me, is 2015, 2016. I don't remember. Everyone knows what I'm uh, talking about. 16, uh, I think. Yeah. When of course Kekalainen, yeah, when Kekalainen famously passed over Poliarvi for Dubois, and everyone went, "Holy crap!" But of course, again, that's as you pointed out, that Finnish connection. He seemingly knows these players very, very well. 
So I think that's actually a, a very good point. And, and that was a great take there uh, that I've not seen out there uh, compared to all the target line A takes uh, that Kekalainen knows line A well. And I can't imagine he makes that kind of trade without, uh, you know, eyes wide open on it. Well, Pui RV, I mean, not to go completely off into, into this weird space, but if you look at, like I was looking at uh, the other day, um, their player comp comparisons in juniors, like you were through the Finnish junior programs in the Liga. And Puli Arvi looks like a prodigal, like a prodigy. Like he, he looks unreal and Line looks okay, right? And then it, they hit the NHL and it completely flips. Like, I don't well, know most what of happened. That, <laughs> most of that year, you're absolutely right. It was like, Austin Matthews and then take your pick of yep. Finnish wingers. There, I, there was no consensus whatsoever on who was, you know, who should go first until maybe like the week or two before. But again, most of the yeah. season, it was a toss up there. You know, they both played incredible at the rule junior. And then, yeah, you, you couldn't have had uh, a more drastic kind of turn. Yeah. All right. Does anyone else, Josh, any last thoughts on lining? Cause I think there's one other topic we'd all love to get to. So, so now Pierre-Luc Dubois gets the spotlight on him because it, it is, Canadian market, though not as big as like Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver, but it's still a Canadian market. So, like you said, mention the name Pierre Luc Dubois in Winnipeg, they'll say, "Oh yeah, that he's the uh, the guy for the Jets." In Columbus, uh, not so much. Uh, I believe they're even though they don't even have a football team, they're more of a football city. And plus, Ohio is like mad crazy on football. But on Line A, um, yeah, though I've I've seen like at least twenty. Oh my God, he won't work under Tortorella takes today. But think about it. Tortorella, say what you want about him. He's the type of guy who wants the best from his players. He wants them to perform. And he wants them to be their best. And Line A, he has the, this attitude and um, uh, problems. And Tortorella could be that guy to ignite the spark in Line A. So that, that'll be my final take there. Perfect. So let's move on to our wonderful Canucks who currently sit a lovely two and four and probably don't even deserve that record. Uh, Sean, I know you had a couple thoughts maybe to start us off here. I don't know if you want to kind of maybe take a couple deep breaths to calm yourself down, yeah. uh, but this is your <laughs> shot, B-Rabbit. Honestly, I've, I've been a little bit fired up. I've, I almost, uh, well, I wanted to start recording like yesterday because i was i was so on fire with this in, in internally so i've seen a lot of things like obviously with any time the connects struggle or any time the connects do well uh no matter what the benning discussion comes up and i, I like you could be pro benning you could be anti-benning you could honestly be indifferent or kind of somebody who just flips and flops it, it doesn't really matter but for me i look at a few worrying signs and I, I basically there's three criteria that I look at for a great management or a great manager and for me those three things come down to do you inspire success do you give your team every opportunity to succeed and do you reward that success okay so I'll, I'll touch on each of those things here uh, with examples for Benning, right? So for Benning, we have, let's let's talk about inspiring success first. So I liked the Toffoli trade, right? Originally, when it first happened, to me, it was, here's a team that's getting, that's on the bubble, they're on the cusp, and he rewarded them and, and told them essentially with that move that he believed in them. He didn't really trade a core, like a roster piece aside from Schaller, uh, but it was, it was futures for Tyler Toffoli to help them go through. And he said, like, I believe in this team. Right. And, and we can debate all we want about the, the motive of that, whether he was trying to save his job or not. Uh, we could debate yeah. in, yes, I agree as well, but we, and we could also debate as well, like the, every little transaction that he does, but I'm just going to look at the last little bit. Right. So he does this move to inspire success. They go into the playoffs and they do well, 
right? Better than I expected, better than honestly most people expected, right? Then, so he's given them every opportunity to succeed in that instance. And there's a lot of luck that went in there too, right? Like if it wasn't for Demko going God mode, we don't go to game seven against Vegas. We're, we're out in like game, what, five, six maybe, right? So they were given every opportunity to succeed. You have Travis Green that has an elite goaltender. He's got a, a blue line that has miraculously stayed relatively healthy. And he's got a top six that's rolling, right? Uh, JT Miller being added into that as well. And then we go to reward that success, right? So they do all that. And then in the off season, what happens, right? Instead of saying, hey, you guys did great in the bubble. I'm going to do everything I can to make you competitive for the next season. And this is something that we've talked about. Now that you've done that, you've set a bar and you can't go below, like you cannot underachieve now. You can't all of a sudden drop out of the playoffs. It completely voids what you did in the playoffs, in my opinion. And instead of rewarding that success, he has seen Markstrom leave, Tanov leave, Levo leave, uh, Foley leave. To Foley leave. Like we've watched Stetcher. everybody go. Stetcher, like everybody's gone, right? And then to the point where you have JT Miller in the in the media saying it's baffling. Right? Like this is your guy that's a leader in your dressing room that you brought in to do such. And he's saying that it's baffling that after everything that they just did in the playoffs. They just let all those dudes walk and like, say what you want about like Markstrom and in Tanev. Markstrom was the MVP on this team last year. Debatable. Right. Like, and do I think, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it was Pedersen myself, but most people seem to be thinking. He won the Markstrom's award. So I'll MVP. give you that when I move on. Right. So like for me, I just like, I look at it and it's like, okay, so we've seen that just happen and it's like, okay, but that's the only time. No. Okay. Let's look at uh, Judd Brackett real quick. Judd Brackett is given an opportunity to succeed, does, crushes it in his job. Everybody says so, so much so that when we let him walk, multiple teams are sending him offers trying to get him and then he leaves. Right. So like where, where's the rewarding of the success we see Louis Erickson, Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle, Tyler Myers, Antoine Roussel, all on our team being rewarded by, I mean, Louis hasn't been taken out of the lineup until this year, really. Uh, everybody else is in the, has their spots. We're, we're seven years into Benning, right? Like we're seven years into this. These are his guys. We're not rewarding success. We're rewarding failure and, and just accepting it that we cannot keep anybody that's good. How, like, how is that? Like, so if you're Pedersen and Hughes and you're walking into the final year of your contracts and you just watched everybody that was your buddy that just really good, like actually makes a difference on the ice leave because you have to employ Brandon Sutter, Louis Erickson, Jake Furtan and all those guys. What does that say to you? What does well, that say this, to you? This is why I think you're giving betting too much credit even now to think that, you know, he had some written out, you know, values or guidelines. And, you know, these are kind of how I'm going to process the team. And that's why I had to oh, interject I there. So Foley yeah. was, and it's proven now by the fact that there was truly really no actual plan to re-sign him or Tanov or Markstrom or Stetcher, uh, that it was a job-saving move. We were plummeting down the standings. Besser was not in the lineup. He was hurt. And we were going to continue to plummet down that way. We would have missed the playoffs. We would have missed the bubble playoffs, even if that was what was going to happen at the trade deadline, which we didn't know. And, and Benning would have been fired. Had we missed the playoffs last year, I am certain Benning would have been fired. So he made yeah. that job. Or he made that trade to save his job. Because again, worrying about Tyler Madden and a second, and of course the first and the third that he'd already traded away for JT Miller, that could have likely been someone else's problem. And of course, you see this historically, 
but again, I, there, I don't know if there's ever been more of a clear cut example of a man trying to save his job. And unfortunately, I think for the last several years, that is what he's been doing and robbing the future to pay the present. And now we are capped out. We have few prospects that we can trade without creating significant holes on our future team. We have no extra picks. Again, we're down one pick because of course we traded that third for Schmidt. And again, I, I don't know. He, he's, has he been that great for us? Has he been another $6 million player? Or do we have another guy who's about to turn 30 on a long-term deal making $6 million who's soon, soon going to be a pretty average player for us? And again, I put that take out there the minute the trade happened. And of course, I got lambasted for it. But I'm sticking by it. I don't think that was a good trade for us. That was not a good use of $6 million. There were other cheaper, better options out there that wouldn't have just made us go, okay, well, all the cap that we now have that we you know, now saved from losing Markstrom to Foley, Tanner, all goes to Schmidt. That was, you know, we, we got Holtby and Schmidt for to yeah, Foley, Markstrom, Stetcher, and Tanner. Is that a good right. trade? No, it's and a third. No, it's well. The not. other the other thing too, though, is that's five core players. That's twenty three percent of our you know dressed roster, right? Twenty three players or whatever you know you can have dressed, but that's twenty three percent that you just totally of the core, of the core, right? Starting goalie, top four D man, top six forward, you know Stetcher wherever you put him in the in that game, whether it's top four, or top six in the D, doesn't matter. Right, you've got all those players to Foley as well. Um, that's twenty three percent of your roster totally changed after you were in the playoffs in the second round, game seven against Vegas. Like for me, when I see that, yeah. and as a fan, like you know, I totally get the whole statistical reasoning and saving your job. Like I understand that, but as a fan, I'm watching it. I'm like, like what the hell is yeah. going on? Right? Like well, why did we make too. these moves to get worse? Yeah. Right. And the team is clearly disgruntled. Clearly like Pedersen, I was listening to 1040 the other day and shout out to those guys, but it's not Pedersen struggling in game, whatever we're at now, six or seven, you know, that first game where he missed that one timer and he looked to the heavens. I was like, Oh my word. Like he, he, he thinks he's, you know, got all this pressure on him and he's got issues game one. Right. When, when you see a player like lift his head up, like, Oh, I missed that. That's like a, okay, he's not in a good headspace, like coming into this season, you know, I've got the world on my back, sort of like, I'm going to carry this team. It's like, oh shit. Like I feel overwhelmed because I've lost so many key pieces that I feel like I've got to make up for this. When we beat Montreal in overtime, he didn't even stand up and cheer. He just sat on the bench. That was scary for me. Yeah. Well, Hmm. and like, okay, going like going back and just touching on one of those points again, putting your team in the best position to succeed, right? As a manager, like, I don't care if it, we're, you're a general manager, you're Jim Benning himself, or you like, you manage Best Buy, right? Like you have to put your team in the best position to succeed and everybody's got their strengths and, and in the sports, even more so, right? We're looking at a team right now that is, if Jordy Ben isn't ready to go, icing four rookies that have a combined four NHL playoff or NHL games, period, um, before this season started. Well, Sean, how could you possibly have predicted we need depth on defense, right? Like, There's no way to see that coming. Well, and, okay, like <laughs> here, here I am, right? And it's like, okay, you know what? It, I do, I do want to see the young guys, and I do want to see them get into games. I do, but the best illustration that I've seen for this, and I, I, I think it was Mike Halford, or, or and uh, he was saying that it's like we were caught smoking by our parents, and our parents made us smoke the whole pack. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> that is, I think that may be actually what betting or actually needed to betting this offseason. Like it was, it's crazy. So like, is it putting Yolevi or Chatfield in the best position to succeed by putting them in the top pairing? It's not, that's not it's fair not to them at all. And it's, and it's not fair to Travis Green either. Like take aside any Benning stance that you have, any, any side, if you were, if you hate him, love him, whatever, you cannot tell me that that is fair for Travis Green or those rookies. You cannot tell me that. You cannot tell me that it is, it is fair 
for Pedersen and Besser to have Mott as their winger because we've had one injury up front. That's not fair. That is a fourth-line winger. I, I like how, Mott, but that is a fourth-line winger. How about Travis Green trying to get himself a new contract with this team? That's just it. Reward success. He takes you to game seven of round two against Vegas, who is who vastly superior to you. Should have been swept. Vastly superior. Yeah. It, like, I, I was watching the games curled up in the fetal position, praying for Demko, <laughs> right? Like, like, we're watching, like, 70 shots against. Like, just stupid, right? Like, these aren't games. It was a bloodbath that we just somehow survived all the time, right? And you know what it reminded me of was like that that skit where like he keeps chopping off his <laughs> his limbs and he's like, oh, it's t- but a flesh wound and, and he just keeps fighting. That was the Canucks. We cannot say it was a fair fight or a good fight. We just survived long enough to make it look pretty good, right? That's all coaching. I, I like Travis Green for that. Reward the man. You have a lame duck coach. You have a lame duck goaltending coach who are two of your biggest stars in the organization and they have no contracts at the end of this season? None. Well, again, I think to me that's just clear smoke that, that is Benning, crazy. Is, Benning is on a real hot seat because, again, of course, a new GM normally brings in a new coach. So you don't want to have a coach signed up for another four or five years that you're then just going to fire because your GM wants to go a different way with it. So well, I, think, I again, genuinely believe that's where it's going, right? Like, I, I, there's no other explanation at, for it. Yeah, we're looking at all the, the signs, right? Uh, if we are to believe that this is true, that Aquilini said, I'm not spending any more money. You, you're not allowed to spend any more money, right? And fair enough. The dude signs Furlan for three right? years uninsured, yeah. and he's got to pay out of pocket <laughs> for all of that? And the guy's sitting at home in Manitoba? Like, I wish all the best for Ferlin. And I, honestly, as a person, I'm really happy Ferlin got that contract because like he could go home, he can heal, he could still make a bunch of money. He's got a great player agent. But if I'm Francesco, I'm choked, man. Like I'm choked that every other team in the NHL thought that was a bad idea and wouldn't do it. And Benning's like, no problem, man. Sign, sign here. Yeah, four years. And so, so he closes his wallet up, right? So, okay, let's apply the same three manager things to Aquilini to Benning because that's a that's a manager kind of relationship as well, right? He's let's managing the general manager. He, he can't get rewarded. He can't get rewarded. He's he not putting him in a position rewarded. to succeed, right? So, like, at this point, I don't I don't doubt Jim Benning is a great person and that he's a smart man. I'm sure he's a smart man. He got to where he is because he's he's good, right? But we're looking at only the job and the current position that he's been put in by himself and by others and whether he can succeed from this point and whether that inspires confidence in you, right? Because that's their job too, is to inspire confidence and belief in the fan base. You're the consumer. So do you believe in this team? Do you believe that they can go and they can make the playoffs and make a bunch of noise? They might make the playoffs, and I, I hope they do. I, I really do, but I, who, who are the, I don't think that the they're going to make a bunch of noise. Who are the team that we're noise. beating out now? Toronto? Ottawa? Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, no, not all teams make the playoffs, Sean. So Ottawa will be at the very bottom, and then I'm saying there's us, and then, and then you got Winnipeg, the two Albertan teams, Montreal, and Toronto. Those, those are the five teams competing for the four playoff spots. Yeah, and I'm sticking to my hot take that Montreal wins the division. But they look very good. Uh, listen they look listen awesome. to this, though. Um, they do. How, they do. how important is this next series for the Canucks against oh, Ottawa? Oh, massive. Massive. Like, if they massive... lose those games, do we still see Benning in his chair? That's the question, right? Like, so, every loss this... is like, do we see him here anymore? Totally. And this breeds the other question is if you say, okay, you know, theoretically you, you let Benning go, right? You fire Benning. What does that do for Patterson and Hughes, you know, going into signed contract deals with a new GM and possibly a new head coach, right? Like you I, know what I, I, I think it does. Is it, is it a good thing? I, th- I think it it's positive. Yes. Um, because 
the new general manager would take no responsibility for anything done in the past, right? So you walk in, you say, look, I inherited a bit of a mess, right? You guys deserve better than this. And I'm going to make that happen for you, right? You guys are the franchise cornerstones. That is one thing he absolutely nailed, right? He got you guys in here and we need to make sure that you guys are the centerpiece going forward. Exactly. A, a new GM can say, I, I didn't sign you to a, new, a no trade clause. Please waive it. Yeah, you know, yeah. to, to a Myers, for instance. Benning, it's very difficult for a guy who signed the no trade clause to go to a player and say, hey, I need you to waive this no trade clause. You're not in our He's eating anymore. his own mistakes. It, it, exactly. Far easier for a new GM to do that. And, and similar to, you know, new CEOs, new any, you know, the, the coaches kind of cliche is it's the easiest year to coach is your first year. Because all your little tricks and all your little sayings are brand new. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to kind of galvanize people. Exactly. It's, it's harder to coach in the league for a long time. And that's, of course, why we see, you know, so many coaches around for, you know, three, four years. And, and then they're canned. And then someone else is brought in for that new voice. So, yeah, I, I don't see that as anything but a positive from that perspective. So one thing here that I want to add, too, is that I don't think this is all fair for Benning. Right? Like, I don't think it's fair for Benning that he's put into this position now where the, the, the wallet's closed tight and he still holds his job, right? Like if you're not fully enabled to do your position, the owner doesn't believe in you. That's what that's saying is that he, the owner doesn't trust you or believe in you. Why are you in your position still? Right? Like but that's not he, fair to him. Even managers at work, you're still responsible to your boss. And ultimately have to, you know, toe the party line and, and, and do the things that, you know, they've asked. Like, you know, again, obviously this has been a, another debate. And I think, again, in my opinion, too much blame is being put on Aquilini, who cuts the checks, who spends to the no, cap. I, yeah, and, I and again, I think it's constantly blamed for the bad moves that Jim Betting makes. I think Aquilini went and found a guy who said, you know, this is what I'm looking for. I want someone who's impatient. I want someone who will pull the trigger, someone who, you know, can identify these players and bring them in and, and build a team up fast. Because again, of course, what was Benning's infamous line seven years ago when he was hired? Yeah, I close. believe this is a team yeah. I can turn around quickly. And here we are seven years later. And I don't know if you Famous can really say that words, we did. Malcolm. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, I don't think that it's all on Aquilini. And I, I hope that my... No, no, I know. But again... Doesn't do that. But I, it, I think ultimately it is Benning's, this is ultimately Benning's mess. Again, Ackley yes. hired the guy, you know, Benning again, he has said himself, I'm impatient. That's not what you want out of a general manager. That was a massive red flag, just that one statement alone to me. You want yeah. a GM who's patient. It's not about trying to build the best. Cause, well, because again, it's a marathon. You know, we could be Edmonton or the Leafs now, guys. That, that could have been our one playoff series win that we truly get out of this core. And, and it's possible that we just, piss it all away now that that is a very real possibility if we continue down this current path well and i think that should scare yeah, and people I, oh, sorry. josh jump yeah. in there yeah i also want to say yeah the canucks yeah people say the canucks could be the 15 16 flames or the 16 17 oilers they should have used this offseason to cross that bridge into becoming a contender but instead thanks to these Thanks to the Sutter contracts, thanks to the Beagle contract, thanks to the Myers, the Erickson contracts, and all that. A lot of key guys left. Could have used, could have used some of that cap to resign to Foley, for example. And watching to Foley light up the Canucks as a Montreal Canadian is like being tortured in a basement. And then <laughs> I let you out. You, where, you couldn't. You couldn't have written. You couldn't have written a more nightmare beginning of the season. Shut out by Markstrom. You know, ten block shots from Tanov. And five goals and six points from Toffoli in okay, two games. Okay, but listen to this though. What the the worst that could have possibly happened is happening, right? Yeah. Shutout. Sweet. Technically, Markstrom should have had two shutouts. To be honest, like I don't want to be that guy, but the two goals we scored were off his own players. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. we didn't score those goals. <laughs> so those whatever. Let's goals. just say it. two two shutouts from Markstrom against the Canucks. 
you know, Tanev blocking all those shots. Levo didn't do much, but he still looked like I knew he was on the ice. So that was the difference. And then, you know, Toffoli comes in here. So what the worst possible scenarios are happening. So, so we can only go up, right? That's my next <laughs> question here is what, what, what's next? Like what, what, what do I, as a fan, what am I hoping for here? Other than a mirror? Like I can't pray every night for a win, right? I well, can't. No. I mean, Petey will I figure need, it out. He, yeah. I, I have full confidence that my, my confidence in PD has never waned. I am, it is though discouraging or you can't help but notice some of this body language and, and things like that. And that's a little concerning to me. I have no doubt that he will write this ship. And, and again, as soon as he does, things won't be as horrible as they currently look. Cause again, you know, the one thing that we really, really, really should have is a stellar first line here. Uh, you know, second line certainly has some holes, depending upon how you kind of believe in Hoglander and Pearson, Horvat, Besser. Those have kind of been, I'd say, the true wins of the season so far. Besser looks incredible. Horvat looks even better. You know, those are the kind of wins I think that we can kind of pull from the positive. So it's not, you know, truly the worst, worst, worst case scenario. I guess, you know, we're not 0-6. Um, but again, it I think... be, though. <laughs> we could be. And again, it, it's not... It's not that we're two and four, it's how we've lost the games. If we lost these games three, two or two, one or three, one, or, you know, they were hard, hard fought. The shot attempts were close. We were dictating play for a while. You know, like if there was some thing to pull, but we're, we just, other than that first game versus Edmonton, we have looked completely outclassed. Like we're an AHL team. We have, we have 28 goals against in six games. That's yeah, the yeah. most by any team in the entire league. The next team that's we closest have the worst is, defense. Like, is like 20. Worst defense, yep. Like cool. 28 goals against. And six, that is like, that's my You can't win with that. Well, people right? are like, oh, they've played more games than most teams. Um, Like that's still like, even if you, that's even five if you spread it out, that's five goals a game. That is not going to win up. you many games, right? right? Like, five goals not- a game lead you to the playoff. Left goals against. Actually, does that? And the goalies um, aren't the issue. Mean playoffs. Like, that's the at, craziest no, thing. That's not, the goalies at, aren't the issue. Yeah, look at the chances that we're coughing up, right? Like we're sending full, like Lucas Pizza-sized pizzas right down the middle of the offensive oh, zone. Yeah. What no D-men anywhere. It's like Moses in the Red Sea. We're all behind the net. We're all behind the net, <laughs> right? I believe there was power play. We're going across the entire. Uh, she ice though we're, we're cross passing with like eight guys in the middle. Yeah, we gave like, up oh six, my word. six clear cut break breakaways last game, two short handed, two short handed yeah, breakaways. We had two, two short handed goals, goals. <laughs> like at home. <laughs> Montreal leads the league with like seven short handed goals on the season, the rest of the league has six combined. Why? Because they're playing the Canucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't know. Like, at what point do we just like? My hand has been on the panic button since, honestly, since we lost <laughs> both games to Calgary. And then I was like, you know what? If they if they they could beat Montreal, maybe. But I'm scared about it because Montreal's really good. Again, I picked them to win the division. Uh, like it's going to be tough three three game series. Then they win. Well, we could shoot out series. We could split. We could. Well, they could. I mean, I, I <laughs> sure theoretically. But like again, that but win no, didn't again, take it's, my it's hand not, off the panic button, right? It's not like, the wins and losses. It's how we're losing. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. It, 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 again, it's how it, we're winning. Like the bare, one barely. win. Barely. Like, so we're losing drastically or we're winning by the skin of our teeth. Yeah. That, that does, that's a little too far over for me. Like, I want it to be a little closer where we're losing by the skin of our teeth and we're winning blowout games. Like this is a vastly different team than last year. And we were, we knew we were in for a regression year, most of us, but uh, holy, I didn't have this. I didn't have this pegged. Well, you know, again, I, I, it just goes back to, uh, you know, again, I, I don't want to be the I told you so guy, but 
I think it was pretty clear to see this coming with all the bad moves, all the short-sighted moves, all the trading picks and prospects for current players who age out. Like again, JT Miller's 27. We have three more years that we can count on him being a really, truly productive player. Sorry to be an ageist, but physical players, (laughs) I'm an ageist. I don't care. Physical players at age 30 start to fall off plateau at best but generally year over year start to fall off. There's graphs, there's math. You don't have to take my word for it, it's science. So again, I, you know, it's too late now, but I was kind of hoping I was gonna be on this uh, podcast going, how about JT Miller for Line A? How about JT Miller for Pierre Luc Dubois? <laughs> that would be the kind of trade I'd like to see happen. I don't know, like I, I worry, like look at this team without JT Miller though. Well, like, sure. I don't know at what point you want to say we don't have JT Miller, though. Because, again, if we don't That's have fair. JT Miller last season, we still have that first and third round pick. So, we, we again, we keep our pick. We were, we were a bubble team. Oh, I mean team. more like if we traded him now. Like if we, we Well, have okay, him, but then you get Pierre Dubois back. I think, you know, again, to me, that's, that's a, I, again, to me, if, if that was on the table, I would have done yeah. that in a heartbeat. 27-year-old player for a 22-year-old player. You make that trade every time. You know what, though? I don't think like Dubois is the greatest person. And that might be a hot take, but you should look, you should look a little more into like what he's like in the locker room and like attitude-wise. Nothing against French Canadians, but you know, they have a stigma. Obviously, he's got a bit of a snarl to him. I I like that. Like, again, obviously, I hate Kessler now, but I liked him when he played for us. You need a guy with a, a little bit of an edge. You know, again, love Petey, love Hughes, and I'm not criticizing Hughes for this, but you can't have all your players smiling and, and waving to the other uh, opponents, you know, when, when you're in a scrum. It works for Hughes, but you need some physical yeah, tough guy. I like it for Hughes, but... Yeah. <clears throat> well, again, that was, that was genius. If, if Hughes can take Kachuk out of a <laughs> scrum, that's a win for us. That's totally he, job done. He, he did an excellent yeah. job. If anyone should be getting criticism, it's Kachuk. But oh, anyways, yeah, that's yeah. Kachuk's game. Yeah, totally. Right. So again, I, you know, so again, if we go back and we don't make the JT Miller trade, we're not, a, you know, again, we were a bubble team with JT Miller playing his best season in his career. So I think it's probably fair to say we're a significant step back from that. So oh, we're certainly, yeah, that's your we're top probably, yeah. we're drafting in the top 10 this last year. So we, we get a Perfetti or a Lundell or, you know, again, those are even Rossi. These are, and these are guys picked, you know, 10, 12, 13. So again, even someone potentially better than that. Do you like that player more than JT Miller? I, I do. And again, of course, we also have our third round picks the last year. And again, we're also in a situation where we're not making the playoffs anyway. So we're not trading Tyler Madden and a second for Toffoli. So now here we're sitting with take your top 10 pick from last year, third round pick, Tyler Madden and you know this second round and again it was a good second round there were some really good players taken in the second round last year or JT Miller and again of course I've been just lambasted for that take but I stand by it yeah but you know what ever since we drafted Yuli Evy and that didn't really work out not knock on wood but like you know I'm not crazy about first round picks saving a team I am (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you, you can never have enough first round picks. Yeah. For, for true, me, like, I look at. It may not pan out. Yeah. Like, I look at teams like LA, right? Like, right. LA right now going through their super rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the Colorado example gets used too much. So I'm going to use LA. So LA has one of the craziest center depth in their prospect pool that I've ever seen, if I've ever seen better, right? And then this year they go out and they get Byfield, right? They draft the best player available, which is something that uh, Benning didn't do when Yolevi was picked. He didn't do when Vertanen was picked and didn't do when McCann was picked. And there's a reason why those picks end up looking horrific in hindsight is because the best player wasn't picked. Uh, Anyways, so then Canucks go and they trade Tyler Madden because allegedly Benning felt that we had too many uh, he's Madden's a center, but he's probably going to be a winger. And he felt that we had, we were well stocked in that department and, and didn't care. Right. 
that that baffles me so much because like if LA went by the same philosophy, they wouldn't have picked Byfield. They wouldn't have traded for Madden. They wouldn't, you know, like they have like they have such crazy so, so which one do you like, John? Caught, they have, like they have such crazy prospect pulls. Uh, and then to tie this into the Dubois thing, some I forget who it is now on Twitter. They were proposed like who says no Dubois for Byfield. And I'm like, LA slams the phone down. Like it's not a no, like it's a it's a hell no. And then that phone gets slammed. Like Dubois is great, but Byfield will be the face of the franchise for the LA Kings going forward. Now again, he already I, I, is looking to be that. I, I love Byfield too. But again, Pierre Dubois is 22 years old. He has a very long shelf life left. If not, right, but what's LA's younger. rush? What's LA's rush? Byfield's like yeah, 18 why years they, old. Why would they, because because why they would have they so many prospects that they have enough of those assets that they do want to then cement some of those as, you know, fixed assets that they know can compete in the NHL. When you have as many prospects as the Kings do, that is exactly what you're afforded is you can take some unknowns and convert those into knowns. Oh, totally. I mean, I just don't view Byfield as somebody that could potentially not make it right. Like Byfield's making the LA Kings as soon as next year in my mind. Right, like Byfield I'm a Byfield like, fan. I, I think he does pan out, but yeah. I think there absolutely is that chance that he busts. If not, he absolutely would have been the first overall pick. It's that risk that bumped Byfield from one to two. And there's even talk that Fritzel was going to go ahead of him. Potentially generational type talent. And Byfield was a lot closer to Lefrenier than the rest of the class. I, I I don't, I don't view him with any question marks, I guess. And maybe I'm alone on that, but I just, I would never do that type of trade. <laughs> like, like you were saying, like JT Miller for, for Dubois, why do you do it? Because you have more miles in Dubois, right? Byfield hasn't even come in yet. Like, and, yeah, and Dubois we're talking, young, right? We're talking the Delta of a five, five years here versus yes, three. versus three years. And, right. and again, of course, that first year, you know, 19, you know, really it's closer to two because we know Byfield's not playing in the league this year. Right. So it's, you know, it's really the two years of, you know, age 20 and age 21 Byfield that you're giving up for known asset age 22 Dubois. Which, so again, which is fair. I, 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 just I, think I get, that I get saying gonna... no. I certainly understand saying no. I'm yeah. certainly not hanging up mad, though, as soon as they call. I certainly talk that out. And again, for instance, if I could get another asset, as well as you know, Dubois for Byfield. That would change. I, I'm certainly sure. talking. Yeah, but if it was like, hey, straight up, you want to do this? I'd be like, get lose my number, man. Like, well, again, <laughs> yeah, Byfield's I, gonna lose from Cop. He's gonna learn from Kopitar. He's gonna just be this unbelievable face of LA hockey for years to come. Uh, like, I think, I think he puts LA back on the map in a, in a big way in the future. And it's going to be really, really fun to watch for the LA Kings. It's going to suck to watch for us in the, again, reformed Pacific division, whenever that is. So it's going to be interesting. All right, Carter, any, yeah, LA's uh, gonna be, gonna be a scary team. yeah, last thoughts, Josh. LA is going to be a scary team in in the future with Byfield and all those prospects. So <laughs> you, you got to watch out for LA in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still cheering for the, I'm still cheering for the Canucks. I mean, you know, as doom and gloom as everything seems and, and it is, I, you know, I'm standing by the, it can only get better uh, type of philosophy. So, you know, if you're a Canucks fan like me, who's got your dad hounding on your back, telling you how badly they suck right now and to turn off all the radio stations, just ignore them. Um, you know, we, we're in the process and winning is a process. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I agree. I, it's still early. In the yeah, season. it's still early. Things could definitely get better and they will. Uh, yeah. I don't think that the Canucks are nearly as bad as we've seen already. Um, but that being said, it does raise some important questions that I think need to be answered. And uh, like I touched on those here, but uh I mean, the Canucks are going to improve. They're going to get better. And it's important to differentiate uh, management from the team, right? Like, I will always be a Canuck fan. I cheer for this team. I, I put 
honestly way too much of my life into this team. Right? And you'll like, roast this team. Yeah. And, and if they, <laughs> if they don't give me any reason to believe, and I see this and I see cause for concern, I have every right to speak up and say, Hey, I'm concerned about this. That's part of being a fan. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't know why or when this, like, if you're not for every move that's made, you're not a fan mentality came in but that yeah. to me that's dangerous because it is allowing mediocrity in a lot exactly. of ways and i don't want a mediocre team i've been a fan like i'm i'm young so i've been a fan since like the west coast express era right like and i've seen that team go from like oh man like a good goalie could potentially take us over the top right <laughs> to watching it not do anything and not not succeed, not pan out. I've watched the 2011 team formed and like, honestly, I still stand by. They should have won the cup that year. 2012, they regress and still win the president's trophy. That's how good that team was to the abysmal, like Willie Desjardins uh, before that, the John Tortorella year, like all these dark years, we were supposed to just stand by and be like, this is all good. Everything's, everything's great. Like, at what point do you stop and say, okay, this team isn't good enough. I want it to be. I want to cheer for a Stanley Cup champion team. Yeah. I want to see the Vancouver Canucks win the Stanley Cup, and it is not happening this season. It's not happening any of the past years with Benning. Honestly, the, the dying years of, like, the last year of Gillis, like, it wasn't happening. Like, I want to see a team take that step and we have the pieces. That's the thing that I think makes me so urgent right now is that we have the pieces to do it, right? Like we have Pedersen, we have Hughes, we have Demko coming up. We've got uh, Besser and Horvat and, and Miller. Like we've got great players. We've got great core. We just need to surround them and give them an opportunity to succeed and then reward that success when it happens because it would happen. It will happen. You but deserve better connection. I want to like raise the bar. Why is the bar on the floor? Why is it if we make the like if we make the playoffs, that's a success? That's not a success. That's step one. Like that's step one of a successful team is that you make the playoffs. I, no I just, arguments like, here. Arguments. I'm so ah. baffled by this. Like I'm so baffled by our acceptance of mediocrity, and I'm. I'm indignant about it. It's got me fired up because I want so much better than that. I want to cover a team that is just destroying teams. I want to cover a Colorado-esque team, right? Like I, I, I would oh, love gosh, to son. sit here. Yeah, like like that's the thing. People are like, oh, media, media hate the team. Media want to cover a good team. <laughs> like, are you yeah. kidding? Far more interesting than winning product. Up. Yeah, readership is up. Listenership is up. If you have a good team, people want to hear about it. If you have a garbage team, nobody wants to hear about your garbage team. Yeah. Like, like get out of here with those garbage takes. Like, I want to cover a team that, like, inspires as much confidence as, like, Colorado does the rest of the league. Right? Like, I want that type of team again. I miss that. We had and, it. I, I want and I know everyone's talking about it's only six games in, but I think everyone needs to also remember it's a 56 game schedule. So we're 11% done the year already. So it's not that early, everyone. All right. Well, thank you All for right. joining another so, episode of podcast. Oh, sorry, Josh, you want to get in there? Yeah. So I'll, um, uh, what's the word? Add in on Sean's point. This fans deserve better they want a contender making the playoffs every year just to be bounced out in the first round is that a success no like yeah and what you said about the media i touched on this on my podcast yesterday i'm sick of this oh my god media hates the team oh my god why don't you move to toronto if you hate covering the team media want to cover a good team too you, you think they like covering a, sh a crappy team no look i want to go into media myself i obviously don't cheer for the canucks the same way as I used to a few years ago, but I want to, I want to see a good team as well. And people in the media, whether it's podcasts, the newspapers, uh, whatever, um, they're not being negative. They're seeing 
what it is. If the team's not doing well, they say they're not doing well. That's what they see. And like you said, John, the bar should not be on the floor. It should be like closer to the ceiling. No, screw that. Well, one step off the, the floor. Just one step. It doesn't have to be on the floor. It just needs to be on the first step up. That's yeah, at least make me lift my foot to step yeah. over. Right? Like <laughs> right now, everybody's just shuffling their feet and they're like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, and the thing about Jim we just say and- like, we, we love the team. Like Josh has said, we love the team. There's a reason why we're a Canucks podcast. Like we love this team. We're taking time out of our Saturday to get together and talk hockey. I love it. But like, just raise the bar. That's, that's really it. Yeah. All right, everyone. I guess thank you for joining the great episode. We'll uh, catch you next time. All right. Thanks for having me on. Of course, Josh. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it does not get more Canadian than this. High Stick Vodka, the ultra-premium vodka of Canada. This stuff is absolutely fantastic. Make sure to head over to www.highstickvodka.com and grab a bottle today. Make sure to tell them who sent you.